0: one thing this morning that I am thankful for and I wanted to share that with you but I think I can speak for my family as well is that we are thankful for you. We are thankful for the body that meets here at Savannah and our opportunity to be a part of this great church so we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here and you have been a blessing to our family and we hope that we are a blessing to you and continue to be a blessing to you as well because you are to us. So thank you very much and we are thankful for you and we'll celebrate uh, being thankful for you this week. Tonight we're going to look into a word, turn to your Bibles if you will, to the book of 1 John. We continue on this one word study and we will do this all through next year as well. There are 53 words in this book and we're going to try to get to as many of them as we can because I do think they are beneficial and helpful and as well in our small groups. So I encourage you, want to say again, uh, more devotional books, the black devotional books, more of those will be in soon, hopefully this week. First John chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. I was amazed at the number of things that are written about the word sin. In fact, there's so much written in Scripture and by others about the word sin that we could be here all week and still not touch on all the things that are dealt with sin. So I want to encourage you to continue studying this word. I came across some of these things when I was looking at this word sin. What is sin? Man called it an accident. God called it an abomination. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it error. God calls it an enemy. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it weakness. God calls it willfulness. And we think about the seriousness... Of sin, and we'll look in Genesis chapter three in just a little bit. And I want to go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of scripture that we'll mention tonight. Now we won't turn to all of them, but if you're taking notes, I hope that you'll at least be able to write down the scripture reference because there are a number of scriptures that we will look at because sin is serious, and sin is something that we need to look at and think about. But as I was talking to someone just recently. Here, here's the reality of it as we think about sin, as we think about life, is can I look at those issues? Can I look at these words? Can I look at sin, what the Bible says about sin, and look at my own life and then the difficulty is, the question I have to ask myself is, okay, I see what your word says about this particular sin, now what am I going to do about it? See, that's the difficulty. A recent survey was done uh, from Discipleship Journal. Readers ranked areas of greatest spiritual challenge to them. Number one was materialism. Number two, pride. Number three, self-centeredness. Number four, laziness. And at a tie for number five, anger and bitterness and sexual lust. Number seven was envy. Number eight, Gluttony. And number nine, lying. Survey respondents noticed, noted temptations were more potent when they had neglected their time with God. Eighty-one percent said that. That these temptations were greater when they had neglected their time with God. Fifty-seven percent said when they were physically tired, they, those temptations were greater. Resisting temptation was accomplished by prayer, 84% said, and avoiding compromising situations, 76% said. By going into Bible studies, 66% said, and by being accountable to someone else, 52% said. So those are ways that this survey found that these people dealt with sin and temptation. Prayer... Avoiding compromising situations, Bible study, and having someone to be accountable to. Sounds like they found some good advice. Someone has said about sin, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this of sin. Sin is an attitude of indifference, unbelief, or disobedience to the will of God revealed in conscious law or gospel. Whether this attitude expresses itself in thought, word, or deed are settled disposition and conduct. I want you to notice... And just note these Scripture references, but we're going to read them. I'm going to read them to you. Uh, Some things that the Bible says about sin. Number one, sin is a violation of conscience. Romans 14 and verse 23, Paul said, "...but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin." Uh, Another translator translates it like this. Any action that does not follow one's faith is a sin. Whatever is done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. Sin, the Bible says, is a violation of the conscience. The Bible also says that sin is knowing to do good and not doing it. Remember James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You see, we are not only to be harmless, but also to be helpful. We are not only to be innocent of the bad, but we are also to be followers and doers of good. The Bible also tells us that sin is a violation or breaking of God's law. First John chapter 3 and verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Another translation of that says, For that is what sin is, by definition, a breaking of God's law. The Bible also tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, that sin is a failure to keep God's commands. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Another translation says, every failure to obey God's law is sin. You know the word sin is talked about all through Scripture? And, and, and I'm not... A language, a Bible language scholar. So, uh, but there are many words that deal with sin from the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. Some Old Testament uses, and I want you to turn your Bible, if you will, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and we'll notice several verses here and some of the things that the Old Testament says about sin. Psalm 51 verses 1 and 3 tell us that sin is transgression as the Hebrew word. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Sin. Is transgression. That word transgression can also be translated as rebellion. Rebellion. Rebellion against something. And in this case, rebellion against God. In verses 2 and verse 5 of Psalm 51, we see that sin is translated as iniquity. Wash me thoroughly, verse 2, from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Another version says that really he's talking about perversity or crooked dealings, that of iniquity. In verse 4 of Psalm 51, we find out that sin is just plain sin. Against you, you only, have I sinned. "...and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge." Young's would translate that to be to to sin, to to err, or to miss the mark. Which goes into our New Testament words, in New Testament language. Sin is, and you've heard the statement maybe, a missing of the mark. The idea is to have a target in the distance. And when you shoot at that target, you miss the the bullseye every time. It's a missing of the mark. For example, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned, miss the mark, and come short of the glory of God. In First Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, You sin against Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, Paul says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Romans chapter 4 and verse 15. The Bible teaches us that sin is a transgressing or overpassing a line. Romans 4 and verse 15. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. I think about also in the book of Galatians chapter 5. When it talks about the works of the flesh, and we'll read that in just a moment, but also the fruit of the Spirit, it says, against, against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of the mediator. The idea is you hold the line. You ever have somebody ask you how you're doing, or, 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 or you ask somebody how they're doing, and they say, I'm just trying to keep it between the lines. A similar idea hold the line, hold the line of scripture, of truth. The Bible also teaches us in the New Testament that sin is a falling where one should have stood. You ever felt that way before? Well, I should have stood a little tougher on that. I should have stood my ground because that was an important issue. That was an important idea. Romans chapter four and verse twenty five. Who was delivered up because of our offenses? And was raised because of our justification. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. A few more, and then we'll have some scriptures I want us to just go through and read and think about. Sin is lawlessness. Matthew 7 and verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, Jesus said. Matthew 13 and verse 41, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Well, I know that was a lot of Scripture to think about. Uh, But I want us to realize there's a lot of Scripture that deals with the idea of sin and what sin has done. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We've been here before. But I want us to notice what happened, what's happened here. And we know this idea. We've talked about what sin is and it being that idea of transgression, it being that idea of breaking God's law. And we see that first happen here in Genesis chapter 3. Have you ever been studying with someone? Uh, about becoming a child of God. And then you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you say, here's what's happened here. That man and God had this beautiful union and sin via Satan and our own selfish desires entered this world and separated mankind and God. And then what we'll end on tonight is the necessity of a Savior, of a Redeemer, to bring mankind back to God. Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's as if God, Satan is saying, you know what, God is afraid. He really doesn't want you to, to eat of that fruit because He knows that when that happens, then you're going to be like Him. Which was partially true. But He never said, He never told them, the reality is you will be separated from the relationship that you now enjoy. And He never said remaining in that relationship can doom you for all of eternity. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. What had happened? You see, they once had enjoyed that walk with God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And Satan, he never said, Hey, you know what? If you do this, then you will not enjoy the same relationship you had enjoyed with God. He just said, Oh, God's afraid that you might be like Him. You know what else Adam and Eve did not think about? Or or maybe they didn't know, but you and I have the opportunity to look back and see that in the creation, God said, let us make man in our image. They were already created in the image of God. And Satan puts that little lure out there. says, oh, but you've got to have this. There's more that God's not telling you. No, there was more Satan wasn't telling them. Then the Lord God, verse 9, called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And then the Lord begins handing down punishment. But did you see what happened? When Adam, or when Eve saw these things, and she said, You know what? This tree is good for food. Oh, it's beautiful. And it will make me wise. And she gave in in a moment of weakness. But look at what it cost them. It cost them separation from God. Not only that. Oh, there's so much here in this passage. Gentlemen, who did God come to first? To the man. What have you done? And then the blame game began. It was the woman. Oh, it was the serpent. James would tell us it was our own selfish desires. In verse 20 and following. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Oh, and then the cycle starts. Cain killing Abel. And all the things, the tragedies that begin to unfold on the pages of Scripture, all because of sin. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. I want to read to you from the English Standard Version. Matthew, chapter 23, beginning in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Those were religious leaders, right? Hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, Jesus says, He says, these should have been done together. Not separate. You've done one and focused on that well, but you've neglected these weightier matters. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and what? Lawlessness. He says, you claim to be religious... You claim to serve God, but outwardly, yes, you are beautiful, but inside you are like dead men's bones. Sin will do that to us. You see, I've often said before, and I believe it. To gather our lessons together and to teach Bible classes and to teach and and to present sermons and lessons. I realize to some that's a little bit more difficult, but to those who do that, it's it's easy to put these things together and present them out. But I'm going to admit to you, it's a lot harder to walk down here and apply it and live it. But you see, that's the reality. When I strive to do that, and, I don't, and we don't do it perfectly, but when we strive to do that, that's the measure of growth spiritually. Is when we see it as sin, and we see the sin in our life, and we're convicted like David. Maybe it takes someone else helping us to see that. But we see it and we're convicted like David. We see our sin and then we're convicted like Peter. We see our sin and then we're convicted like Paul. And we make change. That's what it's about. Galatians chapter 5. Turn there if you will. Galatians chapter 5. Just a few more Scriptures and then we'll be done. Galatians chapter 5. Paul, he lists out here, he's talking about the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and do not walk after the flesh. The flesh and the Spirit, they war against one another. And in verses 19 through 21, he lists out the works of, of the flesh. You see, we might say sins. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Why? Genesis chapter 3, because it separates us from God. And when we waller in the mire of sin it will keep us from heaven. Romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you hear what Paul said? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person that lives on the face of this earth that has not sinned. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's why we need Christ. That's what Christ has come into the world to do, to redeem mankind through his sacrifice, through his death, through his burial and through his resurrection. Paul says that's what makes it real in 1 Corinthians 15. God has redeemed or Jesus has redeemed us back to that relationship with God. Many times in scripture we'll see the word perfect or complete. Where do we find that completeness or that perfection? Not sinless. We find it in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has completed completed the mission of bringing sinful man back to God, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate to the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Two more scriptures. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 and then John chapter 3. Revelation 21 and then John chapter 3. Revelation 21, verse 6. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Someone reminded me. I wonder if we really, really looked at the idea of being lost. And remember when we were outside of Christ, how lost we were. And to think about people in the world, people that we see around every day, people that we go to work with, people we go to school with, people in our neighborhood that are separated from God. And the Bible says they will have their part in the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now, our job is not to make their choice for them. But I believe our job is to make them know that there's a better way. To help them to see that through our words and our actions and our lives. I once was lost in sin. But when I gave my life to Jesus, Jesus took me in. You know that Scripture well. Probably the most quoted scripture in all of history, since the Bible has been complete, John chapter three, and verse sixteen. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much, he loved sinful man so much that he says, "I'm going to give you away." That he gave. His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We don't have to go out and say, look, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm better than you. No, we go out and we say, I'm a Christian. I once was lost in sin. And I want you also to follow Jesus because Jesus didn't come to condemn but to save he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God and this is the condemnation that the light is coming into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. In our world today, sin is not a popular subject, is it? We struggle as a society of being told we're wrong. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. Maybe we're looking at it all wrong. Because Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. I come to save. Many, however, have replaced the Gospel in our day and time with a self-help attitude. Yet the stain of sin is very real in our world. And we don't have to go far to see it. So there's still the need of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Michael E. Hardin writes this, In 1991, a judge fined brothers Gino and Russell, owners of a Bridgeport, Connecticut wrecking company, nearly $900,000 for operating an illegal dump. In 1986, on the empty lot surrounding their facility, the brothers began dumping debris from buildings. Eventually, the mound of rubble and muck covered two acres and reached a height of thirty feet, 35 feet, the equivalent of a three-story building. The state ordered them to clean it up, but the brothers claimed that there was no place to dump it legally in Bridgeport, and they could not afford to have it hauled away. While spending more than $300,000 the previous year to have debris hauled away, they barely dented the pile. According to Gino, it was never supposed to get this high. You know, like garbage and the effects of garbage. And when we don't, do not deal with that garbage, it can pile up so much over time that it's hard to get rid of it. But you know what? The Apostle Paul would say, there's a way. There's a way. And it's through Jesus. Paul would say, for you see, I am the chief of sinners. Paul might say to us today, if I can be forgiven of my sin, you can be forgiven of your sin. There's nothing that can hold you back from the love of God other than your decision. Sin has been here since Genesis chapter 3. And as long as the earth stands... Until the Lord returns, sin will be around. And as long as the earth stands, mankind will stand in need of of redemption and a redeemed Savior. Tonight, it's our prayer. We made a plea this morning. If you've not been buried with Jesus Christ in baptism, it's our prayer that you will do that. I hope that you've seen from the lesson tonight that the Bible clearly teaches that there is a lost condition of mankind. And it's because of sin. All the negative things that, uh, and bad things that happen in our life, it's because of sin. Sin has ruined the lives of mankind. And God loved you and I so much That He sent His only begotten Son to take our place. To redeem us back to the living God. If you've not given your life to Jesus tonight, don't wait another moment. Life is precious. Eternity will be longer. Give your life to Jesus. Maybe it is. Maybe there's some sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. You know, here's something I want us to realize too. It is a difficult thing to walk down these aisles and to sit up here and to say, I've messed up. And Satan would want us to believe that all the people here in this building, oh, they'll talk about you. They will wonder, what kind of bad thing have you done? And while Satan is talking and running his mouth in our ear, Jesus keeps holding his hands out and saying, I love you. Live faithfully. Live right. Lay those sins aside. Surrender to me. Do you have a need to respond to the invitation of the Lord tonight? We just ask that you come forward and let us assist you any way we can as together we stand and sing.